0: The message you're about to listen to is a recording from God's favorite house. It is our prayer that you listen, your life will be transformed, and you will be taken to greater heights in your walk with Jesus. Amen. God bless you as you listen to this message.
1: At the door. As, as we are aware, today we have... Someone that is very, 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 very special, special to God, special to this generation, and 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 of course it ministered at the ATM service and it was totally awesome, you know, totally awesome, and so there's a video that we'll talk a little bit about him before I bring him up. So let's have the video. If you think of making flying cars just because you thought of it the Bible says what is able to do is exceedingly abundantly above whatever you can think or imagine so whatever you can think or imagine is the beginning of what God can do what's the address of wisdom what kind of car does understanding drive where does prudence live? what kind of shoes does he wear these are invisible things but you deny that they are on ground and you will suffer
0: Olakunle Shorinyo is a renowned public speaker futurist disruptor, transdisciplinary and catalytic thought leader. He is a high impact influencer and culture shaper, life and spiritual guide. PK, as he is fondly called, is a great mind and resourceful talent. While honoring diverse engagements for close to two decades, PK's skills, actions and opinions are admired and trusted by powerful minds and action figures everywhere PK is a humanitarian, respected researcher, committed social reformer and nation-building visionary. He is the founder at the Kenneth Shoyor Research and Ideas LLC, an organization with a vision to raise 80 million global action figures, leading the world and shaping culture in business, government, media, entertainment, Family, education, and religion by 2049. Olakale Shorinio is happily married to his beautiful and gifted wife, Tiwalade, and they are blessed with a son.
1: So let's put our hands together for the Lord as we welcome Pastor Kule Shorinio to God's favorite house. Let's keep clapping, let's keep clapping, let's keep clapping, let's keep clapping, let's keep clapping. Let's keep clapping. Thank you. You may be seated. God bless you all. God bless you. Um, first of all, I should begin by apologizing for my lateness. Um, first, I, uh, my assistants for some reason did not, um, get a protocol right this morning. And, um, I traveled on this trip to Nigeria with my seven-year-old, my only child. And, um, we are going to be together all through summer, and we still have three countries to do before we get back to the United States. So um, it's not easy. You know, on my own, I'm, in, I'm enough drama. So having a seven-year-old is off the roof, you know. So I have been, I, I've been baiting, feeding, doing everything. And, uh, I'm very proud of it, though. I'm very, very proud of it. I'm a family man, and family for me is next to God. Before work, before ministry, is family first. And um, that's just it for me. Um, so please, and I, I appeal to your magnanimity for tolerating my nuisance this morning, you know, in coming late. Thank you for your love. I know, I know you have forgiven me already because you are people of God. I shouldn't worry about forgiveness. <laughs> Again, you know when you come to church on Sunday morning like this and you hold the microphone as a guest minister, one of the first things you have to do is to say nice things about the pastor, You say nice things about the pastor's wife, You say nice things about the leadership, even if it's not true. You have to say it because that is supposed to be the protocol of ministry. So what I want to say now, if I just start to say it, you will think that's what I'm doing protocol of ministry but if you think so because you don't know me i've gone to churches where i mean i'm too frank i'm too candid um the freedom of my conscience is one of my greatest assets my truth is my duty and i'll communicate it regardless of who is observing me so um yeah if i i've gone to churches where i pick the microphone like this i just started talking because if i say anything about the pastor about the church, I can be investing in their diversity. If you know what I mean, I mean that can be the end of their unity together, right? So um, I'm the kind of guy that if I hug you and I smell anything, I'm going to tell you you have a body odor. You need to do something. I can buy you. I mean, I hugged somebody in a conference on day one. By the next day, I brought four rollons for him. I hugged him very tight, but I told him, man, this thing can hinder your destiny because people people will cancel you based on your container above your content. And people don't walk by faith, they walk by sight. So the perception and the energy you exude is very critical for how you are accepted. So I would do that. I mean, if, if I smell something around your mouth, I'm, I'm, I can tolerate it for day one. You know, maybe it's just, maybe you, didn't, you slept late or you, didn't, you have not eaten for a while. If I smell it the second time, I will tell you, this is consistent. You, you need to deal with it. That's the kind of person I am. So I said all of that to say that if I open my mouth to say something about someone, the last time I flattered someone was 1997. That I attempted to say what is not entirely true about someone. I'm not just that guy, right? And that's put me in a lot of trouble in many places, right? But I insist that my conscience have to remain free and strong. And that's critical. Now, the reason why I said all of this is to first free myself from the thinking that I'm just trying to do protocol of ministry. And I said, all I have said to say what I want to say now. Honestly, you have an authentic leader driving this church. really, good. really good. Saying that, saying that for me, saying that for me is so important that you believe it and that you understand it. I can't risk saying it without first explaining all I have said. So that you don't throw it off as that's what pastors say when they come on Sunday morning. You know, that's not what I'm doing. I've had the privilege of knowing Pastor Femmes, you know, just recently. And it's like, just like he said, it's like I've known him all my life. I've asked myself, where has he been? This is such an incredible soul, you know, with such love, with such authenticity. Um, and let me tell you something. And let me tell you something about your church. Your church is leading a city center type of revolution within the next five years to seven years you watch it part of the people that are going to be rising from here are going to be shaping culture I'm, i'm actually i'm actually not praying you know i'm actually telling you my interpretation of the operational excellence of your church the messages coming out of here the positioning coming out of here the type of association around you you have been set up for a culture-shaping responsibility, individually and collectively as a church. Now, this is what I want to say. This is not the type of church that you come in, sit down, take the message, and go. You can't warm the pews here. you got to join in, plug in, right? Be part of the workforce. Ask what you can do. You know, I mean, ask the pastors. If your skills are not represented in the, in the departments, Document the type of solutions you can bring to the church, send it in, you know, ask for something, you know, but be part of the house. Don't don't warm the pew. Join the workforce. Give of your time, your energy, your resources, ensure that on a daily basis, this work is being defended to God's glory. All right. God bless you all. Give the Lord a clap offers, Sir, I just want to thank you for your solidity, for the friendship that you bring, but more than that, for the Authenticity that you bring every day. Thank you for everything. The Lord sees it all. You continue to strengthen you and help you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, I'm going to move very fast. I need to drop this mic by 9:50. Um, I'm not. Uh, brevity is a myth in my life. Um, I'm never in a, in a hurry to to say what I want to say, you know. But I also have to be conscious of time. So I'm going to do all I can to make sure that. By 9.50, the mic is dropped. If I miss it for any reason, please, it will be about two or three, five minutes. If all, <laughs> you know, for whatever reason, just prepare your sense of forgiveness and mercy. And don't blame pastor. If I delay, don't blame, it's me. And I'm not coming back next Sunday, you see. So, your, 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 your torture is just for today. I'll torture you for today, and you are free from next Sunday. Isn't that great? Isn't that amazing? All right. Open your Bibles very quickly to Matthew in chapter 9. I'm going to read a very important verse, and then I read three scriptures, and we move on. Matthew in chapter 9. Hallelujah. I'm reading from verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch pulls away from the garment, and the tear is made worse. Nor do they put new wine into old wineskins, or else the wineskins break, the wine is spilled, and the wineskins are ruined. But we put new wine into new wineskins, and both are preserved. Amen. Open your Bibles again very quickly to James in chapter 4. James in chapter 4. Where, verse 1, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? You lost and do not have. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight and war, yet you do not have. Why? Because you do not ask. You ask and still do not receive. Why? Because you ask amiss that you may spend the outcome of your request on your pleasures amen Amen. lastly open to Ecclesiastes chapter 1 Ecclesiastes chapter 1 Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9 Ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 9 if you are there shout hallelujah awesome verse 9 it says That which has been is what will be. And that which is done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, see, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. Amen. And so, Heavenly Father, we come to you just as we are. This moment is yours. Use it to your glory. We know we will not be challenged today. Don't challenge us. Just change us make us better, take us to a new level, new vistas, new frontiers, new roles, new responsibility, new power, new territories, in the name of Jesus, new strength and new quality, new people. Thank you for new paths, new trajectories of growth and strength and quality. Today, precision in the spirit, change and transformation in our hearts, in our work, in our families, in all that concerns us. A clear shift from point A to point B whatever those points are for everyone here today in the name of Jesus thank you heavenly father in Jesus name we pray amen so we live in very interesting times Um, there's no way we can overemphasize the demands um, of our times the bible calls these times perilous times part of why the bible calls it perilous is because there's a lot of perilous activities that will be going on at the same time. Men will be haters of God. Men will be haters of good. Human beings will be unthankful. A man's enemies shall be a member of his household. There will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be all kinds of inconveniences and stress. Darkness will cover the earth. Deep darkness, the people. Right? There's going to be a lot of stress. A lot of diseases unknown. There's going to be a lot of crisis in the system. People will be pressurized into error the love of men will we were cold people were born in passions for each other people of the same sex will born in passion for for each other men will fall in love with men women will fall in love with women families will begin to be challenged and there will be reconstructions of the family from a man woman to children to men men and children to woman woman and children it's amazing what all of that represents however the bible also says we are not supposed to be shocked when all of these things are happening A lot of times, what we see is that people um, try to um, pretend uh, for so many reasons, though, that all of what the Bible has said is not documented. There's nothing going on in the world right now that should be shocking to any Christian. It can shock the world, but we should not be like the world, like we are unaware of what is going on. Instead, we should be bold, we should understand what is going on, We should not be, when the Lord is coming, it's going to be like a thief in the night for those who don't know the Lord. For those of us who know the Lord, it's not going to be like a thief in the night. We know what is going on. We know where the stress points are. There's going to be instability in our times. There's going to be so much instability. But the Bible says in, in, in Isaiah 33, verse 6, that wisdom and understanding... Shall be the stability of thy times and the strength of salvation. Wisdom and understanding shall be the stability of thy times and the strength of salvation. Part of that is the idea that your times will be unstable without doubt. Can I come down? Your times will be unstable without doubt. But what is also true about your times is the fact that wisdom will be available, understanding will be available to create stability in instability. In other words, to find tranquility and balance in the face of adversity will be the difference between those who serve him and those who don't. So we are not supposed to be clueless in the face of the scheme of things. Mainstream activity and all of what is called pop culture today should not shock anyone. As a matter of fact, the critical thing should be that we are the strength and the comfort zone in the midst of all of that disequilibrium. Are we together? So, um, where we are, we are the hope of the system. The Bible says, by the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. And when the upright is um, clear about his role and about its responsibility, that, ladies and gentlemen, is the hope and the balance of the system. What is happening today is that Christians are as perplexed as sinners, And both of us are bound together by the same fear and by the same anxiety, by the same curiosity and by the same ideas. Meanwhile, the Bible says, call ye not a confederacy what these people call a confederacy. Fear not what they fear. Rather, sanctify to yourself the Lord of hosts. Him you will fear, him you will dread, and it shall be a covering unto you. Therefore, there will be fear in the system, but the clues or the proof of what you can't afford to be afraid of is everything they are afraid of. Because the Bible says, fear not what they fear. So if they are afraid of getting a job, if they are afraid of being kidnapped, if they are afraid of being shot, if they are afraid of being robbed or being attacked, if they are afraid of not getting business, if they are afraid of their progress or afraid of failure, those represent exactly what you can't afford to be afraid of because there is superior provision and backing for your own balance. It transcends the effectiveness of your hard work it transcends the excellence of your intelligence really these are not assurances that are tied to human excellence the bible says that the government shall be upon his shoulders and then he described how it's going to be um how the messiah and the messiah promise is going to be expressed and all of that but when he ended that particular promise in isaiah 9 he said the zeal of the Lord of hosts himself will accomplish this. He did not say the zeal of pastors or the zeal of leaders or the zeal of Christians will accomplish this. The enthronement of God's kingdom is not tied to the sense of mission or sense of thoroughness of any individual. God is the singular independent variable responsible for the advancement of his kingdom. He said, I will build my church. He didn't say, will build it, or Femi will build it, or Kunle will build it, or Ajayi will build it. He said, I will build my church and guess what the gates of hell will not prevail against it the organization of the gates of hell is a constant we are not supposed to be moved by the effectiveness and the all of the organization of evil they are necessary for us to have the balance that we need for the progress of our kingdom you see if foolishness is not a constant wisdom will be meaningless somebody has to be foolish for wisdom to continue to have value There is a level of intelligence that is required in men. But the organization in the kingdom transcends the excellence of men. God is not going to do what he will do in your life because of who you are. He will be doing it in spite of who you are. And you need to understand that God is arranging something of such superior quality that transcends your own understanding. Part of what you want to do is to understand what God is doing. That is why all you need is wisdom. And wisdom is not a condition as far as receiving it is concerned. The Bible says if you lack wisdom, all you need to do is ask. Is one of the only things apart from salvation in scripture that you don't need to qualify for. All you need to do is ask because with wisdom you can then do every other thing that God wants you to do. So God cannot put any condition around the receiving of wisdom. He said if you lack wisdom, let him ask. And God will give it liberally without finding fault. So, wisdom is something God dashes every human being. I mean, just just a block of it for anyone that requires. Because without wisdom, you really cannot be consistent in the communication of your strength. And so, wisdom is that foundation of everything. Are we together? And wisdom is not an idea, it's not intelligence, wisdom is not smartness, wisdom is a personality. The Bible says Jesus has become unto us the wisdom of God. So when you have wisdom, you are talking about a being, it's like truth. Truth is not information, it's not data. Truth is a personality, right? Am I talking to you? When people say things like you shall know the truth, and the truth that you know that you practice shall set you free. Is because in their thinking, motivational speakers have done that for years. They've limited the strength of Jesus' conversation to data and information. Jesus did not make an unguided statement, neither is he capable of doing so. Whatever Jesus says, the Bible says, is perfect. Nobody can add, nobody can remove it. He says it that men may fear him. So when Jesus said, You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, that's what it is. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. This is not a truth that you practice, it's not knowledge, it's not information. When Pilate asked Jesus, what is the truth? He didn't bother to answer him. Because to answer him is to descend to his level of ignorance, to limit the truth that he represents to a thing or to or to information. The right question should have been, who is the truth? And he will have answered him. Because he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus said, you shall know the truth, he's not saying you shall have knowledge or you shall have intelligence or have clarity. He's saying you shall know me and I will set you free. This is not information that is sending you free or anything like that. So at a level of communication, truth transcends the limits of knowledge. Knowledge is inferior to truth. Truth at this level is personality. Am I talking to you? It's a being. And your job is to reach out to this being. When you know this being, your transformation becomes its own responsibility, not yours. And all you need to do is the positioning to be able to assess that. Am I talking to you? So if there's anything going on in the body of Christ today, it's the idea that we have limited all of our responsibility in Christ Jesus to our economics. And it's almost impossible for the average Christian to interpret the goodness of God, the faithfulness of God, and the awesomeness in God without first of all analyzing the impact of that on his economics. We look at God, we look at the devil from the eye of our economics. In other words, the size of our pockets, pretty much judge how faithful God is in our lives. And when we see those God is with, it's not those who walk with him in integrity and in decency, but those who seem to drive the best cars, who live by the beach in Lekki, who travel abroad for summer. And when they come to church and they put their hands, yeah, those are the people with God. And maybe those who don't have that are not with God. You see, but those things are small conversations, man. They are so small because some people are so poor in this life, all they have is money. Are you here? Are you here? so terribly poor that all they have is money and if you limit the meaning in christ jesus to economics then you are small you know a car is not a testimony a car is not a testimony it's a tool of effectiveness the reason why a car came into your life is to give you efficiency to give you speed and make you more effective when you come to church to rejoice that you bought a car we understand it's your years in poverty that conditions you into such therapy so, you, 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 because people buy that same car and they are not born again, they don't go to church, they don't do anointing oil, there's no angelic support, nobody's putting hands on them. They don't do offerings, they don't do seeds, they don't do vigil, right? They don't have anointing oil, they don't have prayer of agreement, they don't have the gift of the spirit, they don't have all of that, and they are not stealing, and they are not robbing, and they are not cheating. The only thing they are doing is simple service delivery. Superior customer care, market segmentation, market penetration, without cheating, without robbery. They make this money again and again. And then you need God and the whole of heaven and prayer of agreement and fruit of the spirit and gift of the spirit and angelic support and all of those drama to be able to assess the same thing that ordinary intelligence and hard work is assessing. You know what that is? You know what that is in management? That's called labor loss. That is called labor loss. That's abuse of capacity. Because if someone needs to carry this chair and is lifting this chair with his fingers and he can lift it, and you need to lift it with a tractor, and you need to go and bring machines and equipment just to lift the same table that somebody else is lifting with a finger, something is fundamentally wrong with you. Right? Fundamentally wrong. Because we don't understand the type of vision and the type of idea that God is sharing in the world today. God is not here to give you a car. If that's what God is doing, it must be small. So. Uh-huh. Now how do you preach to Bill Gates then? How do you minister? You know, I ask my pastor friends, if you meet Bill Gates tomorrow or Jeff Bezos, who sits on Amazon, the richest man in the world, how do you minister to him? How do you preach? What do you say? This is your year. or What are you going to say? <laughs> you will make it. You will make it. You will move. What are you going to say to Bill Gates? Before you answer the question, remember that Bill Gates is the richest man. Is one of the richest men in the world. Jeff Bezos is the richest man in the world, right? These guys, Bill Gates, has, at least, is the highest giver to any cause. Of all those giving. those giving to the gospel, to malaria, to terror, to whatever. Of all givers, is the highest giver. Even the second richest man in his own time wanted to give 70% of his wealth away. He didn't give it to a poor man. Give it to the richest man in the world. Fulfilling another scripture in Luke 16. He that has, more shall be given. And he that has and is not deploying, even what he has will be taken away. And he won't be kept, or it won't be thrown away. It will be given to the one who is faithful, who has. And these guys are fulfilling scripture right before our very eyes. These guys are led into nations, and they are not borrowing. We have not even learned to our cousin yet. These guys are lending to nations. Am I talking to you? Yeah. So how do you preach to him? This is the whose marriage is good, whose children are well behaved, who is not sick in any way, who is not trusting God for the fruit of the womb, who is not believing God for anything on your prayer point. There's nothing you are praying about that he is praying about. So how do you now preach to him? If you meet him now and say, you need Jesus, what is, how do you prove that he needs Jesus? Because a lot of times when you come to that type of zone, then you realize that a part of your theology is essentially sensitive to geography, meaning that except you can unlock the weakness in the subject before you, your theology cannot be communicated. Meaning that the strength of what you understand is gospel to the poor, to the extent that if you can't find somebody who is cracked deep in his essence or who is weak in his articulation of value, you really cannot minister your gospel. Once you find any human being that transcends the limits of economics, the limits of his stomach, the limits of his needs, we we begin to struggle to communicate at that level. Because what is the gospel at that level when the person is not poor in any way? He's not even sick. If Bill Gates walks into church on Sunday morning and we are praying at that time, if he has any device to just hear what our prayer points are, for one minute, just for a minute, he would think, "Ah, I must be God. You know why we think so? Because ninety-nine point nine percent of what we are praying about, he can solve it. And so he's going to think, oh, maybe they are talking to me. Maybe they, when they are saying God, maybe they are trying to say Bill. Bill. And because he's a very kind person, he says, I can actually do it. I can solve the problem. People don't even think they have a problem with wisdom as they think they have a problem with money. If you talk to the average person struggling financially, what is your problem? He will tell you, I need money. Meanwhile, money is not what it needs. What it needs is clarity. When we know better, we do better. And he doesn't even understand that. So he's actually trying to solve a problem he doesn't even understand. He will be diligently going in the wrong direction. People are sincerely foolish. People are sincerely stupid. People are sincerely raped, sincerely in jail. Because sincerity is not a factor of production. Land, labor, capital, entrepreneur. You can't find sincerity there. Sincerity has its value, no doubt. But at a level of engagement, you have to deploy the right resources. Am I talking to you? So we live in a world with so much complexity. I, I hope you are praying for me. Because I have 13 minutes more. <laughs> I hope you are praying for me. So we live in so much complexity. And the problem with people is that they want God to fund... What is not initiating? He said, you don't receive because you don't ask. Then he said, when you ask, you ask for the wrong reasons. Open to fix yourself, not to fix God's kingdom. If you succeed and you make it, what is the testimony of the kingdom from it? How do we benefit from your value? Some marriages were fine until the gentleman began to prosper. Some wives were beautiful until the man began to receive contract at a level. Then all of a sudden, he understood that his wife has a big tummy. At times, people are better poor because in their poverty, their nuisance value can be contained. I'm telling you, there's something called nuisance value. Nuisance value is the value of an entity's contribution. To the underdevelopment, disorderliness, and irritation of society. That is nuisance value. And some people communicate that value with class. I've seen handsome fools. I've seen six foot tall, broad chested, empty minds. I've seen very pretty drifters. Because all of these things at best qualify the weight of a container, not its content. And there's nobody in this room that has ever paid for Coca Cola empty bottle only. In fact, what they tell you is you are paying for Coca-Cola, liquid content, that only is a necessary emphasis to remind you that the drink is yours, the bottle is not yours. And in all your aggregation of value, don't focus on the bottle, which is the container. Your eyes, your legs, your clothes, and the way you carry yourself and all of those things, container at best. Content is the king of the future. And the people who see, and the people who see want to begin to articulate their value from that perspective. Am I talking to you? So the question for me every time is, why should you make it? A young man came to me and said, this year I'm going to buy a car. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I said, no, in the name of Jesus. You will not buy a car in Jesus' name. You will not make it this year in the name of Jesus. You are not going to prosper this year. You are crossing me, pastor. I said, well, you can call it any name. But because I know the weight of your nuisance, the evil that is trapped in your whims and fancies, I don't even need to join any to even pray or to see God's face. Your poverty is a strategic commitment to save the world for now. For now. You don't need one more value in your life. Even in your poverty, our girls cannot find balance. You are so skillful in putting your hands under their blouses. You just know how to get them. You have the right words. You have the right things to say. You just unlock their, their essence. And they just gravitate towards you in poverty. Imagine by the time you have $10 million in your account. You are going to destroy the whole world. All our young girls are in crisis. Have you gone to UD in the nights before? Have you gone to Moray Hall, for example, in the night in the female hostels? What are you going to see there? You are going to see the best cars. Range Rovers, Mercedes-Benz, the Rosero- The best cars are packed. Who have brought these cars? Men. Daddies. What have they come to do? To meet their daughters. To give them school fees? No. (laughs) To put their hands under their blouses. And to put them on the walls. That's why they are there. But you see, the only reason why they are there is because they've made it. Because they are successful. That's the nuisance value of success. It's not enough to be successful. It's your success unlocking gratitude to the system. Or stressing it. Africa has so many successful people, few as they are. We have successful people, but society is not grateful for their success because they are not able to lift the world with their own balance. If anything, they stress it. And you know when you go to Unilag in the night and you are 552, you, you are not going there to go and recite poem. You don't go and meet a 21-year-old girl and you are 52 years old and say, you are the ink of my car. No, that's what 19-year-olds say. You can write a poem and say, you are the ink of my destiny. You are the pen of my life. You are the petrol in my car. The lady will say, oh, oh. That's how it's going to flow. But when you are 52, you don't write poem, you write check. Isn't it? (laughs) So when you go to Rini Lagu in the night, you don't say, ah, uh, young girl, my name is uh, a Dan dantata, or my name is, uh, 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 you know, you are the ink. You say, please, where is the ink on the paper? (laughs) So the fact that those guys are in that place shows that they have succeeded. They've made it. Skills have their nuisance. Somebody can know how to plan. Very good planner, but he's going to plan to rob a bank. It takes a lot to be an arm robber, a successful one. That's project management at its highest level. That's scenario planning at its highest level. If you know how to set a goal, you can set a goal to sleep with my wife. That's goal setting right there. Hello? Or how do you compare the skills of Bin Laden, who was able to hide from the CIA for over 10 years and pulled 9-11? That's project management at its highest level. That's scenario planning. That's visionary thinking at the highest level. Though the outcome was evil, the skills are constant. The same skills you need to be a successful lawyer is the one you need to be a successful arm robber. It's how you deploy it. Self-control has no types. The same self-control you need to stop taking sugar or to put off the TV is the one you need to say no to a girl. Are you here? It's the same one. Over the weekend, I was teaching some people. That some people say, ah, "I am struggling. Variety is needed in marriage. How can I stay faithful to one woman all my life? How can I do that?" I said, "No, you you know You you practice fidelity. You are just selective in your communication of it. Because I know people who cannot be faithful to one woman, and I'm not saying that that is a struggle. I understand why that happens. For some people, it's just a necessary um, expression of their ignorance and the state they were in. And God, we need to intervene and help them. I understand that." But guess what? Somebody will be loyal to BMW, he cannot drive any other car, he said BMW. And he said, that's fidelity. I know people for the past 18 years, they've gone to one baba. They can't go to any other barber. that's fidelity. If that person says he doesn't understand fidelity, no. It's selective thinking. He's choosing to express his value where he prefers. Where he prefers. There are no types of fidelity. Six minutes to go. And I've not touched my scriptures. Hello? In the second service, I'll just continue from where I stopped here. In Jesus' name. Amen. That's fine, isn't it? So guys in the first service, get the CDs of the first service. And guys in the first service, I, don't, I hope that will not create a crisis at the car park though. Because if you guys don't leave after first service, you are going to hinder those coming for the second service from bringing their cars in. So please don't create a crisis at the car park. Because I've experienced, I've experienced that before in the church and there was just Christ at the car park. Okay, let me go. Um, So the Bible says you can't put new wine into old wine skin. So the way we used to do things, they are fine until now. If you really have to birth newness, then you have to be able to disengage intelligently from the old so that there can be a preservation of what has been and what will be. Am I talking to you? a preservation of what has been and what will be. They did not understand this, the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They were waiting for the Messiah all their life. They were so loyal to the old they for God it's going to change. You see, you can't be so loyal to something and forget it's going to change. It's not going to go away necessarily, but it can change. In management, there are core values. Then there are non-core values. Your core values are unchangeable. They are timeless. They should never change. They should be constant. Even if society ceases to to reward it in its content, you will still be that. When people document core values in companies, you know what they document? They document a set of words that they hope to be in the future. They write integrity, um, excellence. But when you go around the business, (laughs) there's no integrity there. You can't see excellence there. Because most times when we write down our values, we are writing who we hope to be your well, core values are not a documentation of, documentation of who you hope to be, they are an expression of who you are. So if you give bribes like one of my friends, if you cheat like one of my friends, and you are writing your core values in your office, you should frame it and say, cheating, bribe corruption, because those are your values. If you want to know your values, don't look to the future, look at your practice. Your prevailing practice is the revelation of the strength of your values. Are, are you with me? So you check your values. So the core values don't change. If you are good, you will, you, 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 it should be constant. The core values don't change. But the non-core values should be changing in response to changing people, changing markets, and changing times. Did you get me? The non-core values should be changing in response to changing people, changing markets, and changing times. Now, that is where strategy comes in. But some people get so loyal that they eliminate the dichotomy between the core values and the non-core values. They stay loyal to the non-core values like it is core. And so when it is changing, right, they miss the transition. So their core value is God, is decency, is kindness, is love, is joy, is peace. Those are weightier matters of the law. They transcend times. There will never be a time in human history where you will not need self control again. There will never be a, you can't grow to a new where where love will cease to be important to you. You cannot outgrow the simple issues of patience or kindness or tenacity or faith. You can't outgrow them. They are constant, they should be in your life every time. But, ladies and gentlemen, the container and the expressions under which those things are done can be changed. That is why we were in the Old Testament. We moved to the New Testament, but some people were so loyal to the Old Testament, they persecuted the New. And persecution strengthens resolve, no matter what you are persecuting. If you persecute a Muslim, you will get stronger in his faith and in his belief. The only way to relate what is wrong is to inspire it and give it direction. Anything you persecute will grow. Anything you persecute will expand. Anything you persecute will go deeper in its resolve to exist. That is why when they persecuted the church, we grieve. If the church persecutes Islam, Islam will grow. If you persecute evil, evil will grow. Because both good and evil are installed as viruses in human consciousness to drive its commitment. So when you are persecuting evil, evil does not see evil sees what you are doing, but it's a human being that will feel the persecution, and the human being will interpret it as a personal attack. So it will dig in more and strengthen its resolve. Persecution is not a spiritual feeling. It's not a spiritual quantity as well. Persecution is just anything that if you release it unguardedly in any direction, it's going to strengthen that direction. Am I talking to you? Are you sure? So part of that, one minute more. Have you heard that? When did they say that? One minute more. So that's where we are. I'm going to take about three, four minutes more. Is that okay? And I get out of your face. Is that fine? So this is the thing, guys. The old is so critical But you have to know the point where it is shifting and why you need to move to the next level of it. That is where creative disruption comes in. You can wait for the system to disrupt what you are doing or you can disrupt it yourself. Come on now. Who created the Old Testament? Come on, talk to me. Who created it? When God gave them the Old Testament, did he say, I'm giving you his temporal, I'm going to come and change it? He didn't need to tell them. He expects them to understand this dimension of thinking. He's going to come himself to to disrupt it. And there's a reason for disruption. In the second service, I'm going to start from there. Why disruption is necessary and how to disrupt. But in this service, I want to convince you to understand that something new is always on the horizon. But the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun. and Some people have pitied God and tried to support God by ignoring that that scripture is there. What, what, what does the Bible mean? There's nothing new under the sun. When the Bible was written, was there Bluetooth? Was there laser technology? Was there internet? I beg, there's something new under the sun. On. It's one of the mistakes in the Bible. We can, we can help him and support him with silence and pretend that he's not there. God did not make any mistake, guys. Anything you see that your mind cannot understand, ask God to guide you. There's something there you are not seeing. Don't think You can, you can never support God. There's no human being that can support God. I hope you understand. Once God is capable of receiving support, it's like us. It's an independent fabric, regardless of your balance, he can sustain his own. Do you understand what I'm saying? When people say we are praising God, we want, to, we want to praise God. If if you can praise God that his head will swear, you are in trouble. Because if his head he can swear, he can just go and swear and forget that he has a throne to manage. God is incapable of adaptation. And he doesn't have any esteem gap. So you can't praise him into balance. You can't praise him into a reminder. Once you can do that, it's like one of us. It's a constant. The same year is not to be forever, regardless of what you are doing. Whether you are praising or you are frowning, God is the same. When you praise is to unlock your own balance, not his own. You understand what I'm saying? So you can't praise God and swell his head. He inhabits the presence of his people as a deliberate installment to help you grow. Not for himself. So say, I want to pray God, they want to use God as a spiritual discount to assess value. Do you understand? Those things don't work. Okay? But let me shoot. to remind you that every time you see something new, it's not new. The Bible is true. There's nothing new under the sun. New is old thing happening to new people. Old expression happening to new people. What is new is the people coming to terms with an old expression that they are just coming to terms with. Because they did not discern electricity in the Garden of Eden, does not mean it wasn't there. They said about three rivers meant as a point. That's a dam. That's electricity right there, but they didn't see it. Do you understand? We've always had sand in the world, but we didn't have glass cup until hundreds of years after. What is glass cup? It's heated sand. What is paper? Trees. They've always had trees, but they didn't have paper. Because they are now having paper, does not mean paper is new. Paper has always been there, but old people did not see it, New people came and saw it. Because they saw it, what has been old, they say it is new. That thing is new. Newness is old news happening to new people. Are you here? So when the Bible says there's nothing new under the sun, it is true. Now let me quickly take that down very quickly. What is the one word for what will be? Because you read it. What has been is what will be. Did you read it? Did you read it? So what is the one word for what has been? One word. Past. Thank you, sir. Smart man. Thank you. Past. One word for what will be. Future. Thank you, sir. So if you refresh that statement, what has been is what will be. What does that mean? Use those two words. The past is the future. So there's nothing new under the sun. So if you write that scripture again, using those two words, this is what you will say. The past is the future. There's nothing new under the sun. Do you get me? So in, the, in, the, in what is prevailing, in the excellence of what is prevailing, is trapped the next level of that thing. So when you look at this wristwatch, it looks perfect. But inside this perfect wristwatch, there is an incompletion. There is a loophole that guarantees the next level of this wristwatch. That loophole is what today's people must find and build solution blueprints around it to create the next level of this wristwatch. Every time you see a shoe or a camera or a car, it is in a state of existence, but it is also in a season of usefulness and in a partial state of expression. Everything you see, including you and I, including a camera, a microphone, a shoe, a car, a machine, a phone, anything you see in the world, including human beings, we exist in three states. A state of existence that you can behold, A season of usefulness and a partial state of expression. Meaning that no matter how awesome you are, a better form of you exists. Am I talking to you? And that better part of you is not outside you, it's inside you. It's inside out. Do you understand what I'm saying? Your goal is to find that impartiality. To find that frailty, that loophole, that imperfection, and build solutions around it, then you back newness. As a matter of fact, it is the imperfection of what is prevailing that guarantees engagement for those coming after. If everything can be perfect now, tomorrow will be unnecessary. Tomorrow only makes sense and people will have something to do there because the best of what is prevailing today is incomplete so that tomorrow people can have a job. Planet Earth cannot contain perfection. Planet Earth cannot contain perfection. The moment a perfect thing enters planet Earth, it becomes imperfect. Even if God speaks to you, once God tells you, I'm going to give you a car, once that information enters you, what you will hear is, I'll give you a car tomorrow. It is a tomorrow. You will hear what he said, you will hear more than he said. Or you will hear what he said, you will hear less than he said. Because planet Earth cannot contain perfection. How did I know? We know in part. We prophesy in part. We know in part, we don't know in full. When he said, your mom, your star, moon, 11 stars, sun," we bow down to you. All his brother and his parents said, I, I, are you saying your mom and your dad and are, are going to bow down to you? They could not see that the universe will bow down to Joseph. Because in their limitation, they could not have thought that their son will become the president of the United States. Because Egypt at that time is like the US of today. It was the power center of the world, the biggest economy in the world, and the center of civilization. And so to say our son will become the prime minister of that country is like saying, Ajayu become the president of America. It was impossible. It's not in their universe. They could not imagine it. All they could see was your dad, your mom, and your brothers. When the dream came to pass, the mom was dead, first of all. So either the son or the moon was not his dad, was not his mom. Then, but with hindsight, if we go and look at how many people bow down to him, then we will see that it was his parents represented either the sun or the moon, then the world in terms of civilization, then his brothers. But interpretation is not the conclusion of meaning. Interpretation is a human fiber, and at best if you communicate a partial expression of what is possible. Am I talking to you? So every time you deal with a content, listen, a part of it is incomplete. It's incomplete. So when you want to create the next level of the choir, I'm not going to focus on the awesomeness of the choir and their great voice and how they are delivering the perfect harmony. I will appreciate that. I will celebrate that. But the next level of this choir is hidden, not in what they are doing, but what they are not doing. So the R&D manager, the guy who is sitting on improvement, who is driving innovation, is looking at the incompletion in the excellence of their delivery. The next level of your office is in what you are not doing. When you read a book, your goal is not to know what is in the book. Your goal is to know what is not in the book. so that the, what is documented in the book is a path to your revelation of what is not in it. So when you are taking notes, you don't write down what you see. You are writing down what is not seen, what is unstated, or what is understated. That's what you take away from the book. Such that when the author of the book is reading, is reading the notes you took from the book, he will take notes. Because you are not documenting what is said or what he didn't say fully, or what he said partially, or what he didn't fully stretch enough. Am I talking to you? In closing, therefore, we have a duty to planet Earth. Somebody in this room must transcend the value of flying, praying, to have a business class flight one day. Some people, their dream is to one day travel abroad for summer. You have to defeat that to stay in the newness of what God is culturally right now. Because somebody owns the plane, you are hoping to fly. Somebody owns that plane. At 300 million naira, you don't have one million dollars yet. Meanwhile, with 300 million bucks, we are a big boy in this lekki You will drive a Range Rover, you will live by the beach, people will respect you, they will bow to you. Meanwhile, there are small minds bowing to a small mind that is big in the smallness of their own thinking, that means a beautiful crown is hiding on your head as a one eye king in the land of the blind, and it's the darkness of your environment that strengthens the weight of your importance. Meaning that in practical terms, by the test of universality, you are a nobody, you are not important, but the ignorance of your domain drives the ignorance of the people to fuel your value. And so you are valuable, not because you pass the test of universality, but because you are passing the test of locality. And locals who are small are praising you for the smallness the world cannot see. Do you understand what I'm saying? Meanwhile, you're not the light of Leckie. You are not the, By your potential, you are the light of the world. So there's something in you that the Americans can salute. There's something in you that the French can salute. There's something in you that the Germans can salute. But we got to bring it out. Africa is poor because of only two things. We produce what we don't consume, we consume what we don't produce. Period. No economy in the world can survive on that equation. America is big because they produce what they consume and they, uh, they consume what they produce. Are we on the same page? So we are a buying economy, they are a making economy. Wow. Meanwhile, the spirit of making is the Holy Ghost right on your inside. And you need to know how to connect with that spirit to birth newness into your generation. So there's somebody here that will create the new level of the internet. There's somebody here that will build the next social media. We have Facebook, we have Twitter, somebody's going to bring notebook or something. There's somebody here that's going to build the next type of car. Somebody here will build houses in the air. Somebody here will build uh, um, cars that will be flying. There are ideas that change the world that we all have to bring into our present day. Now how do you do that? How do you break into that level of thinking? And that level of resourcefulness. So that's why I'm going to start from in the second service. But never forget that the value you represent must be disrupted. No matter how great you are doing, always ask yourself: Can we be doing more? Because more is the energy of growth, and you have to focus on that. How do you do that? Is there a science to that? Reviewed from heaven, we are going to learn from Scripture exactly how to maneuver and to be to culture such experiences. Please rise to your feet. I want to pray for you. I want to pray. I want to pray. I've used complete 10 extra minutes. Okay? Put your hands up, everybody. Today I place a demand on the grace of God upon God's servant. Pastor Femi Monae. The entire leadership, the grace of God upon this house, God's favorite house. And I agree with all that God has done in me and the greatest in me. And I pray for only one thing for everybody under the influence of my voice this morning: clarity like never before insight like never before you have a mouth and a wisdom which none of your adversaries can gain or resist in the name of Jesus from today insights begin to visit you in new ways visions and revelations dreams and pictures of greatness and awesomeness ideas that will change the world and shape culture are coming to you embracing you in the name of Jesus People in this room are shifting society. They are communicating mainstream in the name of Jesus. CNN is looking for you because of your idea. Fox News is seeking to interview you in the name of Jesus. You are doing simple things and it's shaking the world, turning it upside down in the name of Jesus. Receive a visitation today. Receive a visitation of wisdom, of clarity in the name of Jesus. Thank you for the weight of your value, Heavenly Father. We give you praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, give the Lord a clap offering. God bless you.